Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Amanda Aliberti, social worker at Adoptions from the Heart. We welcome you to our agency podcast, a platform to hear voices from all members of the adoption triad. We will be connecting with other organizations and professionals to collaborate about the services we offer our clients. We look forward to our audience learning more about adoption and the future growth of our community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Jada McCurry, and today I have with me my colleague, Myra Herrera, to be your host for this month's episode. We are so glad to have you all join us for yet another conversation all about adoption, so much that we've decided to take over once again to discuss a topic that we come across often working in the marketing department. Each new year, we tend to see increases in the number of prospective clients who seek answers to their questions about adoption and its process, especially when it comes to planning and how to finance an adoption. Taking upon ourselves to invite our friend and financial advisor, Kelly Ellison. So welcome, Kelly. We are so happy for you to join us today. Thanks. Thanks so much, Myra and Jada. I appreciate having the opportunity to be here. It's so great to talk about what I would consider uh, perhaps my favorite topic. I know that sounds boring, doesn't it? To talk about money. (laughs) But more importantly, what folks don't like to talk about, and that is money and kids. A couple things. Uh, I am the founder and COO of a company called Your Adoption Finance Coach. We partner with Adoptions from the Heart and work with all of their families to help them create a financial plan for their adoptions. Now, one small correction, we're not financial planners, we're not adoption tax, or we're not tax specialists. However, we are um, helpful and coaching in the area of finances as it relates to how to put together a comprehensive financial plan for an adoption. And what does that mean? That means helping families to put together a budget, helping families to write grants, to do loans, and a lot of those things were topics we're going to talk about today. But I think it's really important. I'm so glad that you're bringing this topic to the forefront because most folks who are interested in adoption are really asking the question, not if they want to adopt, but how do they pay for their adoption? That's really what they're asking for. And how do others do this? And what is that thing called the adoption tax credit and how am I going to benefit? Will that benefit me? So hopefully today we'll have an opportunity to answer all of those questions. Thank you so much, Kelly, for sharing, for sharing that information. Today, we really wanted to invite Kelly on to answer some of the frequently asked questions that we see most from prospective parents when we're looking at ways to finance or when they're looking at ways to finance their adoption. Um, We know that domestic adoptions can be expensive. Um, with an average of about twenty-five dollars to $50,000 per adoption. So this is a topic that we really wanted to come onto our platform and discuss to bring you guys more information about um, adoption financing and how to do so. Yeah, and Kelly, you're the expert here. So throughout this episode, Jada and I plan of throwing some questions at you with hopes that our audience can walk away with more knowledge and understanding where to begin in their own adoption planning. Is that all right with you? Yes, that's great. Bring it also. So why don't we just start with how do I qualify for a grant, an adoption grant? I love that question. It probably is, if not the first or second question that many families will ask our coaches. And so we have to start with understanding that 
there are a large number of foundations that are out there that are providing grants to families who are interested in adopting. However, many of those foundations are kind of what we call the trifecta. So the first one is religiously affiliated. Many of the foundations are religiously affiliated, specifically Christian. Many of the foundations have some type of foundational or excuse me, financial need that they want the family to qualify for. And then the third one is going to be special needs. So if we go back up to the the religious affiliation. So just because you may or may not be religious uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you qualify. But when we look at those three um, components, religious affiliation, financial um, need, and then also special needs. So if you if you're not necessarily religiously affiliated, but you have financial need and perhaps you're you're adopting a special needs child, which might be an older child or it might be a child that is an emergency placement, for example, that happens quite often in domestic adoption. You're still going to qualify for grants, but you're not going to qualify for as many. So the job that we do when we work with families is to help them really understand before you begin applying for grants is how much money do you need? So how much money do you need? How much money do you have? And kind of what is that gap number? A lot of people misunderstand grants thinking, oh, I'm going to get all grants for my adoption. And that is just not true. It's simply not true. So when you're looking to understand if you qualify for grants, you're looking at for a married couple, uh, they need to make upwards of between $120,000 to $150,000 a year combined annual income. Now that is considered modified adjusted gross income. So what you do is you go to your taxes, you look at, for, for example, the previous year and what you filed for your taxes, what your modified adjusted gross income was. Now, those rules are not hard and fast, but it is to say that if you're a family sitting here listening to this podcast and you make $250,000 a year and you have no children in the home and you're interested in qualifying for a grant, you have to understand that it is a competitive process. So you can apply to grants if you want to. However, you're going to be in a pool of other families that look just like you that might not make that much money. So if a criteria for the foundation is the financial need, establishing financial need, then you can see where you're going to be in that pool. You're going to see where you're going to be in that competitive process. So the financial need is probably the first thing, understanding that. Understanding the religious affiliation, uh, some foundations are going to be more strict than others, ranging from check the box that you identify as Christian, or we want to do a pastor interview with your pastor. Um, how involved are you in your faith-based community? So that has a big factor on it as well. And then, of course, special needs is very important. And that, as I said, is identifying a child that perhaps is an emergency placement or an older child, or a child that perhaps has special medical needs. So I hope that kind of frames it for you a little bit. If someone's out there kind of looking, I wonder if I qualify for grants. If I were to give them a suggestion, I would start at the first two, financial need, and then also uh, religious affiliation to be able to kind of qualify themselves if they were doing a search. Is it safe to say that 
different grants would benefit different families over others, depending on their their situation or what the grant qualifies or requires of them? I'm glad you asked that question, Jada, because let's understand the concept of what a foundation actually is first, okay? A foundation is a nonprofit entity that has a mission statement that this is what guides their purpose. So the mission of the organization or the foundation is to support prospective adoptive families in their adoption process. Now, some of them are going to be more specific to that. And one of the things that that is really important when we guide families to looking for the foundations that they're going to qualify for is having families go out and actually read what is the mission statement of that foundation? What are the requirements and eligibility of that particular foundation? Every foundation has a separate list of eligibility and a separate type of family that they are quote, looking for. So if you are, if you don't consider yourself to be identified Christian, or if you don't consider yourself to be a religious person, or if you are perhaps a Muslim family or a Jewish family, and you're looking at a Christian organization that really wants a pastor interview, and they want to understand, you know, your faith, and they want Bible verses, and they want those kinds of things, well, we can see right away, that's not going to be a good fit for you, right? You're going to be looking for a foundation that doesn't necessarily have a religious specification for applying for a grant. So what you're really looking for is you're looking to meet the goals and the mission and the philosophy of the organization. What we're looking for is we're looking for uh, families are actually looking for the goals and the missions and, and to meet the goal, the mission and the philosophy of the organization. So what we actually will have families do is identify, for example, the top three or the top five foundations that they're interested in. And the first thing they're going to do is go to the website and read the mission statement, read the FAQs, read the philosophy of the organization to make sure that they match, they look like the the kind of family that this foundation would want to apply to. So um, there are foundations that are family-centered, meaning they're centered only on the couple. They care less about the child that's knowing about the child that's being adopted. There are also foundations that are interested in the child, more interested child-centered. Doesn't mean they don't care. It's just that hopefully that gives you a distinction about some foundations are interested in, for example, families that have suffer from infertility and might not, may have tried or spent a lot of money on an infertility track, and they're interested in helping those families. Other foundations might be interested in helping those those who are adopting children from foster care or emergency placements or children that have more special needs. So one of the things that we're really proud of with the Adoption Finance Coaching Program is that we can assist families throughout this process. And there are three things that we have families do before we start even looking at foundations. The first one is to help to understand how much money they need. So you're not going to just start off writing grants. Your adoption's $50,000. You're going to start writing grants for $50,000. That's not going to work. You have to really understand how much money you need first and make a create a comprehensive budget and be able to articulate that budget this is how I plan to pay for my adoption, okay? The second thing you need to do is to create a story, a comprehensive, compelling story for why you want to adopt. And then the third thing you need to have is your home study in place. So once you have those three core documents in place, 
then our coaches are able to help the families identify those top grants, those top foundations and the deadlines and be able to help them to apply to those foundations to see if they can get grants for them. Does that help kind of qualify that a little bit? Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> you really honed in on like, I guess what the question that I was trying to ask, um, but couldn't really find the words to. Um, but yes, that, that helps a lot. That helped okay. me better understand. So I know yeah. hopefully it will help our listeners as well. So let's kind of hop into the topic of adoption tax credit. Can you Ooh. tell us what adoption tax credit is? <laughs> what the adoption tax credit is? That's such a loaded question. Okay, so what the adoption tax credit is, is the, the first thing you have to understand is the difference between a tax credit and a tax refund. So a tax credit is a dollar for dollar credit toward your tax liability. Okay. A tax refund has nothing to do with your tax liability. It just is a refund to you. So um, the best way that we can describe it to you is to say that if you are filing for your adoption tax credit, and I'll tell you about when and how and why and all of those things, but if, you're, if you want to know what you qualify for for the adoption tax credit, you can go and look at your W-2 from your previous year's work, and it'll tell you on your W-2 how much money you paid in taxes. That is your tax liability. So let's just say for purpose of numbers, let's say that you paid in $7,000 in taxes in uh, the tax year 2022. In the tax year 2022, the adoption tax credit is $14,800. So if you have an adoption that is finalized in 2022, in 2023, when you file your taxes for that previous year, you're going to file for the adoption tax credit. You're going to essentially file the adoption tax credit. You're going to file all of your expenses. So you're going to put all your expenses, all of your qualified adoption expenses. We'll talk about that in a moment. So you put all your qualified adoption expenses and you will file your adoption tax credit. And let's say you paid the $7,000. So you're going to immediately get that $7,000 back. That's the first pass. Then you're going to get your child credit back. Then you're going to get all. So it's that your deductions are going to kind of flow. And, and the thing about the cool thing about the adoption tax credit is that it's off the top. Um, there are a few exclusions to this. Uh, one of them is self-employment tax. So the adoption tax credit will not cover your liability for self-employment tax. For the most part, it will cover anything else. So if you pay taxes in, you're going to get that back. Now we haven't met the 14,800 yet. So what essentially will happen is the balance of that, um, do my quick math, 7,800 is going to carry forward to the next year. So let's say the next year you paid in $5,000 in taxes, your tax liability. So what happens is, is that you can use the $14,800 for up to five years. So it carries over, the unused tax credit carries over year to year based on how much you've paid in your, in the tax liability. So that's kind of the difference, baseline information difference about the tax credit versus a tax refund. What's very cool about 2023 that I'm excited about that I want people to understand. In previous years, the tax credit has been incremental. It is a permanent part of the tax code, but it has been incremental, meaning um, I want to say in, in 2021, the tax credit was like $14,300. 
2022, it's $14,800. So you can see kind of incrementally, you can see how it goes up every year. In 2023, the tax credit for finalized adoptions is $15,950. All of a sudden, it just went, it just went crazy. So over $1,000 is an increase in that tax credit. Now, we don't know what that means, why they did that. You know, there's been a lot of, in Congress, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of advocacy for the tax credit being a refund. And the truth is, ladies, if the tax credit were a refund, it's a game changer for everybody because you don't have a, you don't have a income uh, phase out. So, you know, once you get to a certain income for the adoption tax credit, you start to phase out, meaning you don't get the full adoption tax credit. You just get a portion of the, uh, a percentage of the adoption tax credit. That income phase out range, I believe for 2022 is around, don't, don't quote me on this, but around $230,000 a year. So there's kind of this income phase out range, which starts, I think at $230,000 a year. And perhaps at this the end of this podcast, we can make those numbers available. I can give you a document that makes those numbers available or a link. Uh, all you have to do is go to the irs.gov and type in um, adoption tax credit phase out income. And that will give you what those phase out ranges are. But for the most part, we see that most families, most uh, prospective adoptive families, once they finalize their adoption, they are going to be able to qualify for the adoption tax credit. And do not let anyone tell you that you make too, money, too much money for the adoption tax credit. Always get another opinion about that from someone who knows about the adoption tax credit. Our coaches um, know we're not tax advisors, of course, but our coaches know quite a bit about that particular law. Does that help to understand, though, the difference between the two things? Yeah. It definitely does. And I think, it, I, I mean, it's a good question. It's also helped me as someone who is one of the people that answer questions. People come to me on Facebook or in, or different social media. It helps me a little bit more to explain to some of the people that come to us um, that. So um, what about loans? What are some of the loans? Are there loans available for adoptive families? And if so, what are some of those loans? There are loans that are available for prospective adoptive families. You know, the first place that I would recommend that a person would go if they're interested in a loan would be their personal home bank, because that's obviously where they're going to have their relationship. But there are other loans that are available. There are some foundations that provide loans. So when we talked a moment ago about various different foundations that give grants to families, there are also foundations that give loans to families. Some of those loans are 0%. Some of them have a small percentage rate to them. A couple of other ways that families can um, get funding for their adoption in the way of loans are credit unions. We really, really like credit unions. So there's a couple of credit unions. America's Christian Credit Union in Glendale, California, provides a, a wonderful product called an adoption line of credit. I love this product because the path for domestic adoption is really an important path to be able to secure funding. So a lot of people can do the, the process or, you know, you guys are all professionals and you help the families through the process of the adoption process. What we try and prepare families for is um, this whole idea that by the time they are searching and networking for birth parents, that they have the money that they need in order to make a qualified decision about that birth parent. You do not want to put yourself in a situation after all this work of getting to where you are to network for birth parents 
and then find out that you don't have the money that you need to make the match that you want to make. So our recommendation to families is to have the money in place. And one of the ways that they can have the money in place while they're also writing grants and doing fundraising or whatever they're deciding they're doing with their coach is to apply for an adoption line of credit. And that is just getting, it's the same as a, a home equity line of credit. It's just getting a line of credit that you are that you have been approved for. And if you don't use it, you don't pay on it. If you use it, then you pay on it. So um, it's a nice product for adoption. And there are a couple of credit unions that offer that. The first one was America's Christian Credit Union, ViStar Credit Union, um, and I think there's one more in uh, Minnesota that offers that as well. I can get a list for you or our coaches again, our coaches know. If anyone wants to get in touch with our coaches to ask any kind of questions, they can email us at coach at your adoption finance coach.com and learn more about if they just want to ask us a question about references or any other financing questions, happy to answer those. So the lines of credit, I think, are very, very important. Two more things. The um, taking a loan from a qualified employer's program, like a 401k or a 403b, that's pretty easy money. Uh, what I mean by that is there's no credit checks. It's pretty low interest rate. If your employer um, allows you to do this, you can take the loan. If you leave your place of employment, you have to know that it's going to be a disbursement. You're going to end up paying that back. But if you stay employed with that employer, you're just going to make monthly payments out of your out of your payroll check. Um, and then there's another another program that has come up called the Qualified Birth or Adoption Benefit that allows someone to withdraw five thousand dollars from a qualified retirement account, which would be a 401k or 403b. This is the difference between a loan or a disbursement. We typically do not recommend that people take a disbursement from their 401ks. We typically want them to keep that account intact. However, if we're just talking about the end of the road, you've got all your money in place, but you need that extra $5,000 just to make the difference, just to get to the finish line, right? Well, the QBOD is a really good product to do that. You're going to pay taxes on that $5,000, but you're not going to pay penalties on that $5,000. So that is another really good option in terms of loans that uh, people can consider. Thank you so much for that information. I kind of want to stay on the topic of loans for just a little bit longer because we did talk, uh, well, you did mention a little bit about 0% loans. Can you maybe explain a little bit about or more about what that is and what it what, what the benefits are? for a family who is able to obtain a 0% loan? Well, um, really, Jada, the benefits for the 0% loan are in the interest rate. So, you know, people don't like to play, pay interest. And let's be honest, you know, um, interest is, you know, an evil thing, right? <laughs> However you look at it, it could be, a, could be a positive thing for you, depending upon what kind of work you're in. Um, so having a 0% interest loan is an appealing way of getting money for free, if you will, uh, for a period of time. The types of 0% interest loans that are available out there are typically available through foundations. I want to really caution people from taking a 0% interest loan on a credit card. I want to really caution you on that. Uh, we don't recommend that. 
And the reason we don't recommend that is because life happens, right? So you have your adoption, you get all excited, you've got this credit card that offers a 0% interest on 18 months or whatever. And the next thing you know, 18 months has passed and boom, you're going to get hit with this 22% interest rate. So if you're going to do that, just have a plan in place for how you're going to pay that back before the time period and be sure that you understand what the risks are for that. A 0% interest loan that is provided by um, foundations, uh, one that comes to mind is Lifesong for Orphans, provides a 0% interest loan. Um, and it is uh, a loan that families could get. I think the maximum is $10,000 and they apply for it. It is, uh, Lifesong for Orphans is a religious organization. So they don't even call it a loan, they call it a covenant. It is a, it's a pretty tight binding um, agreement with the foundation. The thing I want to caution folks about is the appeal of the 0% interest is obviously the interest rate, but you also have to consider your cash flow. So when you're in the adoption process, you have to consider when you're making payments that are on time, you know, we have a, you're going to put your budget together and you're going to put a timeline together, right? So when is the money due? So when you get a match, for example, the money is due. When you get, you know, you've got various different um, timelines here when money is due. So it's the difference between sometimes the 0% interest loans are going to ask you to pay immediately, like pay your monthly payment immediately. And you have to weigh if that is tying up cash that could potentially be used for your various different timelines when, when your money is due. Again, our coaches are really well versed in this. So we can help a family to really look at how much money do you need? And then how much money are you setting aside for your adoption? That is probably the first thing that we have folks do. Look at your personal budget. Can you set aside $50 a month? Can you set aside $200 a month? You're, you're, we are recommending that you set up a separate savings account for your adoption. So you can kind of watch that grow. That's separate from the emergency account, okay? Your emergency funding account. So you're setting up a separate account. So when you think about if I'm getting a loan, whether it is a 0% interest loan or a line of credit or whatever it is, you, when you're creating your comprehensive plan, you're looking at, okay, at what point do I need to implement that loan? And then how long do I plan to have that? Because remember, once your adoption is finalized, you're going to qualify for the adoption tax credit. If you get that adoption tax credit, depending upon how much you get back, whatever loan you've taken, you can then pay that loan back with the adoption tax credit. That's kind of the bookend, right? That's kind of the, the neat miracle about the adoption tax credit. That's great. Thank you so much for all that info. Why don't we talk a little bit about fundraising? We know fundraising is part of financing and adoption. So what are, I know, some people come into the adoption process uh, thinking, you know, I'm going to fundraise the whole thing. Uh, what are some of the results that a family can expect from fundraising for their adoption? I love fundraising for the ado for uh, adoption. Uh, I have to say that my background, Myra, is in fundraising. I was in the nonprofit sector for 25 years. So I fundraise from the arts to the environment. And, you know, I, I love doing that. I, I love putting together events and all that kind of stuff. It's very fun. In the work that we 
we do now, we really see that a lot of families benefit quite a bit from fundraising, but not every family benefits from fundraising. You really have to be able to, um, we actually have a little quiz that we take on our website when folks work with us about if this is the right thing for them. So, you know, do you like to get, are you organized? Um, you know, did you like planning that wedding? Do you want to plan the baby shower? You know, kind of, kind of how organized are you and do you like planning? So a lot of people don't necessarily like the idea of fundraising because they don't necessarily like the idea or the concept of hat in hand. Oh my, we're doing a, a an adoption, so please come and help us. We like to shift the thought behind that around the idea that you are building community. So you remember talk, me talking about story uh, when we talk about applying for grants. We really see a family's story as being a central core aspect of the funding process for any family. So when you're considering what you're going to do to raise money for your adoption, it's never one thing. It's always a combination of things. And the best way that we can, I can describe it to you as a formula that is kind of like a third, a third, and a third. So a third of it is your own money. A third of it is going to be loans and family gifts. And a third of it is going to be grants and fundraising. So if you can think about your adoption in that way, how much are we going to set aside? How much are we going to get if we have to get loans or if we have to get, you know, family gifts? How much are we going to get if we're going to get grants or if we're going to do fundraising? Not everyone is going to do those three things, but you can you can kind of shift the formula, if you will. So if you absolutely do not want to get a loan and you want to do fundraising and grants and family gifts for this, then you're going to have to increase your own, own contribution. You're going to have to increase you know, some of your other activities. So having that kind of as a parameter, a couple of things that are important to understand about fundraising. It needs to be the decision that you're making is, is this an event or is this a social media fundraising? In other words, GoFundMe, Facebook, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but either way, if it's one or the other or a combination, you're creating a campaign. You're building something around your story. You're inviting people to be a part of your community, a part of the story rather than, oh, please come help us, we're doing an adoption. It's more like, join us, be a part of this, be a part of this exciting journey that, we're, that we are doing together. It's, it's feeding people information, helping them to be educated about the adoption process. And then when it's time for them to give, they're going to give. They're going to give either in time or in money or they're going to give, but they want to feel like they're a part of it, want to feel like that they're understanding and learning and being a part of the journey rather than just this one time, oh, give us this money and we're going to be on our way. So if it is a social media campaign through Facebook or GoFundMe, uh, we like to see families plan events. If they want to do an event, we like to see them do something that's unique to them. You know, I've had families that have done uh, marathons, bike marathons, where they uh, they did a run baby run challenge one year where they where they said they were going to have pledges and they were going to do all these marathons. One of the best ones, I think, from years ago is a uh, flocking flamingos fundraiser where they would put they bought this set of flamingos and they put them in people's yards and they would put this information on their door and in order to get the flamingos moved they had to write them you know they had to give them money and they would send it to another friend's yard and so they were flocking these flamingos all over the neighborhood and to all their friends 
um, to get attention and they would put it on Facebook and, you know, very fun. There are puzzle fundraisers that we see a lot of families do when they create puzzles that creates a memorable image or puzzle for the baby's room when the child comes home. Uh, You know, there's a plethora of ideas that are out there. But the most important part about a successful fundraising uh, campaign is to really understand that it is a campaign. It is a campaign. And you really need to be able to be organized. You need to be able to have a plan. You may need to be able or need to spend some money. If you're going to do a venue, you might need to have a budget for this. You need to have volunteers. You need to have people that are going to help you. So it is a commitment. And we really like to uh, recommend that families, rather than going off and doing five different things, a car wash, a restaurant thing, you know, a, a school fundraiser, rather than doing all these uh, garage sales, you know, rather than doing all these small things that they combine their efforts and do one thing that creates a sense of community, a sense of urgency, uh, tells their story, invites people in. So hopefully, as I talk about this, you can feel the difference, right, between, oh, please come and help us, which a lot of people are not comfortable with. Um, The difference between that versus come and be a part of this amazing journey and this community that we're building with our child. And I think that's definitely something important to add because like Myra and I, we both both work in marketing. We have backgrounds in like event planning and putting, you know, things right. together, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. No doubt. Right. Sometimes we forget just being excited, looking at the big picture. I definitely understand like when you mentioned making sure that like this is something that you're, that you feel like you can do, making sure that you're organized and making sure that, you know, you have a budget aside because sometimes you have to spend money to make money, um, especially with like a fundraising event. So true. So I kind of want to jump back a little bit for the people who are not as event planning savvy. I don't even know if that's the correct term. To use. Right, right. When applying for grants, um, if I was a prospective adoptive parent, if I wanted to apply for a grant, how much do families typically or how much can they expect from grants? Like, is there typically a a cutoff point, or is it just dependent upon the organization? I'm glad you went back to that. So remember the remember the formula: a third, a third, and a third. Okay. So um, first, we're making a decision about how much money we need. First of all, Jada, every single adoption, every single family is different. You might have a family that gets five thousand dollars in grants. You might have a family that gets twenty thousand dollars in grants. There are a lot of factors in how much a family is going to get. That's why we kind of come forth with that formula. Typically, if somebody is going to spend $30,000 on their adoption, they could expect to get, you know, $10,000 in grants. But that's if they, you know, meet all of the requirements, you know, I mean, they they can check all the boxes. For the most part, a good rule of thumb is to know that when you're looking at the foundation, most of the, that's why we always tell families to read the FAQs is to look at the foundation and read the FAQs on that website to see the kinds of families they're funding and how much they're funding those families. Okay, so most of the time that will tell you um, how much. Also, it will most of the foundations and their requirements will give you a range. So they'll say, we give families grants anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000. They'll give you a range. And when you're writing your grant, you are actually writing how much money you, you are expecting. As an example, our adoption co- is going to cost $35,000 
about we expect our adoption to cost $35,000. We're going to uh we're saving, you know, $5,000. We are uh getting a loan for this amount of money. We're writing grants for this amount of money and we're fundraising for this and we have a family gift. Um you have to make it make sense, okay? So if you've done your budget and you know that you need $15,000 in grants, you're not going to tell them you need 20,000 in grants. You see what I'm saying? You've got, you've got to make your budget match with your story. You've got to make it all kind of make sense so that that foundation might see you, you might be a, a primary family for them and they might give you 7,500, for example. So it's hard to know how much each foundation is going to give you. It depends upon how much you need, how you qualify, like how much eligibility you qualify for with the foundation. Have you made a compelling case? Okay. And what is their funding cycle? That's another thing that's really an unknown. So we have to know that when the stock market goes down, so does their corpus of funding, right? So um, a good example of that is over the pandemic, uh, we had foundations that were calling us saying we need families to apply because a lot of families were not applying during that time because they thought there was there were no grants that were available. We've kind of gotten back up to normal standards at this point. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but to say that the co our coaches are really here to kind of help identify what are the best foundations and what are, what's the timing of those foundations, how much money do they they need? And then when is the best time to apply for that money? And the coaches can really guide them in terms of uh, what they need to be asking for. Basically, if a foundation is going to give you a range for how much you're asking for, ask for what makes sense in your budget. So if you're going to apply to three foundations for $5,000 each, then don't ask one for 10. You're going to apply and each one of those you're going to ask for $5,000. So it needs to make sense in your budget. So I also want to go back a little bit to the tax credit. So let's say like the adoption, as we know, most adoptions don't happen in the first year. The wait for uh, to be placed with a child can take more than a year. So if it takes more than a year, when would they file for that tax credit? They're going to combine their expenses and file for the tax credit when it is finalized, okay, in the year that the adoption is finalized. That is the best time to take the adoption tax credit. Why is that? This year is the perfect example. We went from um, $14,800 to $15,950. So as an example for domestic adoption cases, they can file their expenses in each year if they want to, but understand there's only one adoption tax credit and it's per child. So if they're doing an adoption and let's say they filed this year, okay, and the adoption's not finalized yet, then they're going to get the adoption tax credit for 14800 They're not going to get the adoption tax credit for 15950 So they're really shorting themselves, right? Rather than waiting until the, the adoption is finalized, then they get the most benefit for the adoption tax credit and what that amount is to carry forward for the five years. Well, I just have one last question. If I was someone seeking information about financing and adoption, where could I find more information or get in contact with a financial coach like yourself? Because you just provide a little bit more information about how they can get in touch and the different ways that they can get in touch with you or someone at, their, at your organization. Right. Well, we're always eager to help families that are looking to adopt, of course. Um, our model for um, working with families at your adoption finance coach is to partner with agencies like Adoptions from the Heart. So we're always
always happy to talk with the family um, for 30 minutes. And you can always reach us at coach at youradoptionfinancecoach.com. If you are not yet assigned to an agency, if you've not made a decision about an agency, but in order to work with one of our coaches, because agencies are the ones that pay for our services, we never charge a family, never charge a family for any of the services that we provide them. It's agencies like Adoptions from the Heart that pay for our services that affiliate and license with us so that their families can receive these kinds of benefits. So we work with about 100 adoption agencies across the United States, but you know, certainly families that are interested in working with adoptions from the heart can certainly contact any one of you to get in touch with us. We can, we're always happy if you're working with one of our agencies or not to give a 30 minute pre-consult, for example, um, to talk with you about anything. But if you would like to work with one of our um, coaches, then you need to be affiliated with one of our um, with one of our agency affiliates. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you would like to add or do you think you answer all of the questions, everything you wanted to say? <laughs> well, I know that I talked a lot and, and you know, you can appreciate that this is uh, information that's near and dear to my heart and all of our coaches near and dear to um, to them as well. I want people to feel hopeful about this. I want them to know that there is just no one thing that's going to help them. Uh, one of the things that we have done is um, to further help prospective adoptive families and throughout the country is we also have a program called VESTA, which is VESTA for Families, and it is an employer program. So um, one of the things that I think people do not think about a lot is, is their employer providing benefits for them? The Society of Human Resource Managers talks about what happened during the COVID pandemic, which was called the Great Resignation. And basically what happened was a lot of people left the workforce, didn't they? They went home and they decided either not to work or to work at home. So now what's happening is we're go getting back into the workforce and employers are looking for benefits to bring employees back. One of those benefits is about family building. So I would encourage you, if you have not asked your employer about a benefit for adoption, to go to your HR department and ask them. If they're interested in creating a program, again, they can reach out to us and we can direct them to the right team about how to create an adoption benefit at their workplace. The Dave Thomas Foundation uh, lists over 200 companies that provide adoption benefits to their employees from Disney to Pricewaterhouse to, um, to Chewy. So there's lots of different companies that offer um, adoption benefits, and we don't want families to miss that. We also want them to know that, uh, again, we're more than glad to help them with any questions that they might have. Uh, you know, we're just committed to this idea of giving families who are looking to adopt hope that yes, this is possible and you don't have to spend every penny that you own. And there's, you know, there are resources out there that are available for you to help you bring your family together forever. So I appreciate so much the opportunity to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly, for this great insight. I mean, I could hear how excited and how much knowledge you have on this topic. And we definitely learned a lot. So I know that our listeners did as well. So to our listeners, thank you once again for joining us to another episode of A Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. Again, I am Myra. And I am Jada. And be sure to follow us on social media platforms at Adoptions from the Heart for 
more information about our services, as well as visit us at www.afth.org. Also, all of Kelly's information, social medias, and how to get in contact with her and her organization will be in the episode's bio. Thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Have a good day.